Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors. It's getting to be that time of year where there's a crisp feeling in the air, snow on the ground, which can mean only one thing. It's getting closer to Christmas and you still haven't bought gifts yet. I've got the perfect place for you to go. Afflictorbroadheads.com They're going to be running a Christmas sale here within the next couple weeks. And I got to tell you, their stuff makes great stocking stuffers. Whether it's the K2 Hybrid, the K2 Mini, or one of their fixed blade broadheads, they're going to have something for you to get that loved one who loves being in the woods. Check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Dropped him. Asher. 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 <laughs> so we've got uh our third leg josh on here josh luck and uh tonight we're joined by fueled team member tyler westall how you guys doing doing great doing well all right well we have uh been doing a lot tonight we've sat on this exact uh stream here breaking down maps, talking to one of Tyler's buddies. Uh, we pretty much talked about it all. So we basically don't have any content for a podcast now, probably. Yeah. Uh, no, we were just talking about talking a little predator hunting. Uh, our buddy Tyler here is a pretty solid coyote hunter, I would say, or so his pictures claim. Uh, he drove like 119 hours to come coyote hunt with me and take me out and show me the ropes. And uh, we had some pretty nice places we were at and we didn't hear a coyote, which was just crazy. Uh, we, we hear them and see them all the time, but I can't remember. I feel like maybe you guys said the moon was too full maybe or something. I think it was a full moon. I mean, you can kill coyotes on a full moon. I mean, it's just, I don't usually kill as many. I feel like you need to be in, like, tighter fields. Okay. I don't know. That's just my opinion on that. Yeah. So, Tyler, uh, you are in Indiana, and he. I was about ready to tell a story, and I figured we better hit record before we talk about this. So he's been inviting me out to this place. Uh, uh, 
will say, um, how do we not say where this place is? So you need a boat to get there. We'll, we'll leave it at that. There's a place where you need a boat. And I'm all excited. And I just keep thinking like, man, I got, I got T Wheezy over here in my back pocket. Like I will go with him and I'm going to kill a deer. And this is going to be awesome. Then he sends us this video to the thread where he had wrapped his fiance up like a mummy in clothing, basically. Uh, their boat broke down. <laughs> he got his boat stuck, basically, and wasn't able to go anywhere. And I started asking questions. Said, hey, uh, you know, it's like a million hours for me to drive here, right? So... And they're, they were pretty much, you guys were pretty much out of the game that morning, weren't you? Yeah, we Yeah. pretty much didn't get to do any coyote or any deer hunting that day. Yeah. I would probably just jump into the water at that point if I just drove. Oh, I mean, yeah. We, if we would have had, if I would have had muck boots on, I'm pretty sure I just could have, I mean, we were in the middle of, of the river and I probably could have walked to the property. We don't say river. Okay. Now everybody knows where you're hunting. I'm just kidding. Um, I can't afford muck boots, though. I don't make the money that you do. <laughs> I'm a lowly stay-at-home father, Tyler. I didn't invent elevators. I wish I did. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't be working at all. Uh, we're still not sure that you actually go to work. In fact, Josh made my day. When he was uh, yeah, I asked the day. Like, do you actually work? <laughs> and and I think this all the time because he's like, Hey, got a drone. Let's go practice flying the drone that can literally you hit a button and it'll like do tricks for you and say it's ABCs. So um, no, I didn't, I didn't even know that about it. it I didn't know it, I didn't know it could fly by itself. <laughs> I mean, it pretty much can. You hit a button and it'll follow you around at least. Um, there are some, I don't know what you've been practicing, but there are some like uh, good maneuverability tactics with well, filming. Recently, today I've been practicing losing it is what I've been practicing. So practicing losing your drone. Yeah. Fighting yeah. bobcats. I uh, hit a tree today. On the river, about lost it there. Put it on top of my truck when I was downloading videos on my iPad. Pulled out of the driveway and realized once I got about 200 yards down the road, it was on top of the truck. And then I used it in the yard today to fly it around and get some more practice with it. And the dog literally like leapt in the air like six foot and grabbed it out of the air. I got it on video too. Yeah. God, dude. So I, I put it up for the day after that. <laughs> I, I, I about had to change my pants when we almost lost Chris's on a lake. Oh, dude, my heart dropped the first time I hit that tree right above the, above the river. I thought for sure that it was, I saw the screen, I saw the propeller and the video feed. I was like, oh, this is bad. This is going upside down into the river. 
we had this <laughs> thrown out over the lake and it was like battery low landing. And I was like, no, can't deny or, you know, do not accept or whatever. And I'm like, give me the remote. Oh my God. And, and I mean, this thing's lowering and I'm, I'm tripping balls. Like, well, we just ripped up a nice thousand dollar bill here. I saved it though. Thank God. Um, we had, we had a, an almost, I hit part of the boat, uh, when we were smallmouth fishing and I was going to take footage when it originally rose up, it kind of moved because of the wind, I guess, and the rocking of the boat. So it kind of lost its, you know, uh, sense of where it was or whatever. And it like went to the side and hit part of the boat. And I'm like, yeah, there it goes. Wait, this is gonna be this is gonna be the worst drone flight of all time. It's gonna get 18 inches off the ground, hit the boat, and fall in the lake. But it did fight through it. It didn't even damage the uh the props at all. So pretty pumped about that. Hmm. Recommend DJI. Is that what you got? You got a DJI? DJI Air 2S. Air 2S. Hmm. Yeah. How much does that run roughly used? From a guy that didn't rob you, eight hundred bucks. Oh, that's solid. You uh, knew they're thirteen. Okay, that's not bad. So, did I see that you can zoom on that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Eight zoom, I think. Eight twenty megapixel camera too, but I don't think it transfers. No, it does transfer over to the camera, but you can't zoom eight. And it doesn't. It won't record it. I don't. For whatever reason, you can only do one and uh, two and four. In what a uh, okay. what sensors does it have on it? Because you'll have ones that have just side sensors or the oh. side top and bottom, so it doesn't run into anything. Yeah, it's got sensors all over that thing. Um, it's got them in the front. I think the front top, front bottom, back, back top, back bottom. It's got them all around. I think it's got them on the sides too. I'm not for sure. But I know it's How the hell did you hit a tree? I had it in sport mode. Oh. <laughs> I was I was running down the river and I was running about like seven foot off the river, five foot off the river, and I was going it was at forty two mile an hour. And it seemed wow. moving. And I just wanted to come up and barely miss this tree and get like a spinning shot of just like the fields, just trying to practice. And uh I got to the point where I was like, I'm not gonna clear this tree. And I just I tried to back out of it, and it I kept my hand on the uh, ascent or to keep going up, and it smoked the tree. So, so let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about coyote hunting. So we're we're approaching, you know, what we would call coyote time when deer hunting winds down and people get bored and they go out and they shoot poor innocent coyotes. Um, Is there a way that you scout for this or do you just go from property to property, call for X amount and okay, bye. Yeah. Can we wait? Can we back up for a second? Back up. Sorry for anyone that I don't know. might be new to predator hunting. I feel like time in the year might make a difference. I mean, you see people, 
you know, hunting all year for coyotes. But Tyler, if you could kind of break down when you usually start ramping up for predator hunting, when kind of breaking down the year, like what times are better, and then going into like how you prep and scout for it. Um, better, I mean, the best time of the year really is the breeding season, I feel like. Um, and that's going to be right there around February, January, February, March, mm-hmm. in, into those months. Um, I really don't, I really start coyote hunting once I'm done with deer season. So I'll start getting after it, try to hit some, usually try to hit a lot of public before I destroy my own properties before it gets really good. So, um, I mean, I really like hunting. I like hunting though also in the springtime too. That's a lot of fun. You get trying to feed all the pups. Not a lot of people probably don't like to hear that. You know, you're shooting a coyote that's trying to feed its pups in a den somewhere. So, but you're also helping the, you're helping out the turkey population and the deer population at the same time. Yep. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense. I don't, <clears throat> anytime I've only been coyote hunting a few times, uh, but anytime I hear about people ramping up for coyote hunting, it's usually January, February when it's mating season. It's kind of like the, the rut quote unquote. Right. Yep. But I don't, I don't know too many people that have taken advantage of the springtime, but that makes a lot of sense. What you're saying, if you have like a cottontail in distress or whatever, yeah, they get they get really territorial around that time. I mean, they're trying to protect their their hunting grounds for their offspring. They're protecting their dens. That's their denning season, so they're going to be super protective. And they're going to, I mean, they're going to already now. They're going to start getting protective right right about now, right before breeding season. Um, September is a fun time to hunt them too, because that's you know August and September. I've killed them then here in Indiana season starts, I think October 15th or something like that. But if you have private land, you can hunt them whenever you want. See year round. So, but when the, when they start leaving the den in September, that's that can be a lot of fun when you're, I guess, essentially killing puppies. But <laughs> <laughs> You should try to say it a little more morbidly. Uh, so, What what kind of guns are you using? Tell tell us about your setup. So for daytime, um, I just use my I'll use my twenty two two fifty or use uh, my six five Creed more of my suppressor. Um, run it on a tripod, uh, and then for nighttime, I run my Aero Precision two forty three with a suppressor and I run a uh, pulsar on that thermal for night hunting. Why a 243 so. at night and not a 22250? So the 22250 to me is a little bit smaller. I mean it's going to work. Um everyone has their preference in rounds and I just I really like my 243 uh the round that I shoot is just around 4000 feet a second at 58 grains. And the way I have it sighted in is zero to like 325 yards. I put it on the dog and the dog's going to drop. I, mean, I didn't realize that a 243 was a speed round. Uh, it's a neck. It's a 
I believe it's a neck down 308 is what it is, essentially. Wow. Okay. So Here. it's it's pretty hot round. Damn. Yeah. Let's move on. All right. How about your uh did you did you mention your scopes that you use? Yeah, on my so on my twenty two two fifty I just have a three by twelve vortex crossfire, I believe. And then I have a Leopold got a Leopold Mark V, five by thirty-five on my Bagara six five. Okay. Nice. Yeah. How many now, dogs did you kill last year? It's like forty-nine dogs. I had a goal of fifty and I just I petered out. Just, you stopped. Um, that that literally wow. That sounds yeah. like you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm one away. It was, it was it was rough. I mean, we we did a couple tournaments that year, and we destroyed our properties. I mean, I mean, there was one tournament. I mean, I think we killed eleven dogs in two nights out out there hunting. So I mean, and then not to mention all the hunting, you know, December, January, and February, all the other dogs we killed off there. I mean. It's a lot of a lot of animals. So some people have said that the more coyotes you kill, the more rapidly they breed. You think that's a thing? I believe it. So like like when you like when you get a disease, I'm and I'm sure you could talk to the biologists about this. So we get like EHD. A lot of deer die, right? Then you have an abundance of food for the deer. You have more open, you have more living space for them, right? And then more food, more living space, less stress. And then their body tells them, hey, you can have more offspring. Times are good. Yeah. Okay. We're not in the depression anymore. Yeah, so you kill a bunch of coyotes, there's a lot of food, a lot of, you know, less stress, and they say that they'll have more, they can have more offspring. That's pretty, uh, you kind of just hit the nail on the head, Josh. What what happened right after the Great Depression? You got all those baby boomers. The baby boom, dude. Times were good. Times mm-hmm. were good. Make the babies. Are we geniuses? Is that is that what happened here tonight? No. No, we're biologists now. We're biologists. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm a biologist. <laughs> biologist. No, um, it's always interesting to talk about this stuff, though, because I still think you gotta you gotta try. It. So, at this point, are you controlling the predator population? Then, I mean, see a lot of the properties that I hunt. I don't deer hunt, so. Okay. I can I can probably hunt like probably ten or fifteen of the pieces, but just I never have. I have I've had the invite, but like yeah, you come out here and kill turkeys, ducks, deer, whatever you want. Well, you give turkey permission out there, then. Yeah. Are you against the birds? Tyler's Mm -hmm. like I see birds all the time. I just don't. No, I, I went. I went scouting and one of the fields was full of geese. So I went to the shop and I uh, 
grab some steel shot. I bought my license online. I came back out to the field and I jump shot a goose last year scouting for coyotes. Jump shot. <laughs> oh man. So do you have any crazy coyote stories at all? Other than your friend almost killing you and Ethan? Your Chris, your ADD is just going to town tonight. Yeah, it is. I'm very I tired. Really, I, can't really, I can't really remember that story, but I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't. I want to say he was he was swung on a dog when he was shooting or something. I don't. I'm looking down the scope, so I don't. I don't really remember everything that sure. happened. But uh, I mean, I'm sure it did happen. I just for whatever reason I don't remember that part of that night. But maybe I'm. I don't know. Um, crazy stories. I don't think I really have any crazy stories. I'm sure there is one that, I, you know, 11:30 at night, I'm trying to remember. But yeah, it is late. So o- Oklahoma, my okay. So Oklahoma. Um, this one I was stationed out there, and we weren't coyote hunting; we were deer hunting, and we came up on a on a carcass, and. It was me and my buddy, John, and we were probably about 200 yards away, and we snuck in to this carcass where there were two coyotes feeding on this. And uh, this is like 12 years ago, 15 years ago, so I'm try- or probably 12 years ago. I'm trying to remember it, but I don't know how close we got to these coyotes, but he ended up shooting these coyotes, and they lined up perfectly, and he shot them with a 301 mag. Hit the first coyote, bullet came out. It was the bullet was probably mangled. Hit the coyote, didn't kill the coyote, but they both dropped. We thought they were both dead. Oh shit! And he's a he's a big dude. He's probably like six three, six four. You know, he's from Texas. So we're walking up to these coyotes and uh, look at the first one. The first one's dead. Went to go grab the second one, and the second one popped up. And is snarling, and it's like coming at us. I'm going backwards, clicking the safety off the gun, getting ready to bring the gun up, and he just, I mean, just kicked this dog square in the face. <laughs> kicked it square in the face. I was like, dude, you could just like could have backed up and just shot it and stayed away from it, but it's a little, it's a little crazy. But yeah, that was. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was uh wish I would have had a GoPro on me then cuz that would have been awesome. Yeah, we need to keep a GoPro strapped to you for the yeah. entire year. Probably Becca too. She's killing a lot of deer. She yeah. is. <laughs> but no, Josh, no. you take the lead for a little bit. <laughs> I'll let you on ADDS. I was just trying to follow your thought process. So you're like, good luck. guns, Some crazy stories, like all the things having all to the do things. with <laughs> So when it, we kind of went over time of year, you like to target coyotes. So we went over kind of mating season around February, January, February, and trickling into March, springtime when they're trying to, you know, get some food for the young and then 
out in September when you got the younger juveniles coming out. Uh, do you when do you kill the most dogs out of that whole time frame? Is it January, February? Yeah, it's but that's when I really start like that's when a lot of tournaments come up too. So yeah, yeah, you usually see a lot of tournaments pop up and those coyote roundups and oh yeah, all those. And then you have those crazy rules so people aren't bringing in coyotes from like a week old and mm -hmm. yeah those those rules are nuts reminds me of the uh the recent was it the walleye tournament with the weight he's got weight we got weights and fish <laughs> well so we the tfo we host the tournament here in indiana and we'll we spell the tfo what's the tfo it's the fallen outdoors okay. uh we we help uh veterans get out and uh Hunt, fish, I mean, do all kinds of activities. Wow, we're getting into some good stuff here. Yeah. Keep going. Um, I took out, took out a veteran this year to uh, Lake Michigan. We went on a salmon trip. Salmon, did a lake trout. Um, nice. Do, so do you have previous spots where you knew to find the salmon? In a saddle. No, this is I. This is, yeah. <laughs> no, this is a charter that I, uh, I, I paid for, and my uh, my two buddies that we're gonna that we went with the previous two years, they both had something going on, so they bailed, and I was like, oh, I'll just take a vet out with us. So, you know, we we know a guy in Michigan that knows where good salmon fishing is. Yeah. Yes, John on the team. Oh yeah. Yep. Yes. He's also got, a solid smallmouth guy. Oh yeah. I got, a, I got a buddy here in Indiana that's got a boat rigged up, down riggers and everything for salmon. He kills it. Where? What do you no, he he goes to Michigan. Oh, okay. I was gonna say. And I don't you think there's any salmon here in Indiana. I haven't heard a lot I haven't heard of the Indiana salmon run. No. <laughs> well, I think I think if you get up north, I'm pretty sure there is. I mean, they're running through them Hoosier Hills, boys. I think up there in the north, we have Lake Michigan come down there. Yet the rivers that run it into south into Indiana for okay. steelhead. That, yeah. That's that's a YouTube video. Salmon fishing in Indiana. That'd be slick. You couldn't do it though, because everybody would be like, "There it is. That is spot." <laughs> Um, so we kind of dove down a little rabbit hole. So I wanted you to explain TFO back to the original story now. Back to the original story, the coyotes. Um, I mean, uh, so usually during tournaments, I mean, when we're, when we're hunting a tournament style, we're trying to do probably about like 40 sets in a night. I mean, we're going to try to, but we're probably only going to make about 30 of them. And so, sorry, go ahead. I have, I have questions about the sets. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to ask about the length of the sit. So yes. usually tournament sits, we're, do, we're out there for 7 to like 12 minutes. Really? Yeah. If we don't have so a dog out in the field or responding within, within 7, we're probably gone. 
Wow. So, like I said earlier, I've been I've been a handful of times coyote hunting. I've been a few times with my stepbrother who has farms and stuff uh, out east in Ohio that he goes to, and he's anytime I've sat with him, it's 15, 20 minutes. We'll give it. Don't hear a dog. You move on. Go somewhere else. If, if you don't hear one or see one. And then I've talked to other people that, you know, kind of were coyote hunting on their own. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll give a spot 45 minutes. They felt like longer produced more dogs. Now, I know tournament style, you're kind of right. You need to go fast. But so what are you tournament style? You're waiting seven to 11 minutes. Is that the same if you're not tournament hunting? Um, it really depends on my mood and how I feel about where I'm sitting at, but most of the time I'm hunting a little bit longer than that. If it's not for a tournament, I'm, I'm probably going to sit for at least 20 minutes, maybe 30. I've sat, I've sat for the longest I sat was probably last year at night. And I think I sat there for like, I want to say it was like 45 minutes or 52 minutes or something like that. Something ridiculous. But at the 15 minute mark of that sit, I was talking back and forth with coyotes. I would howl, they would howl back. And the reason that I stayed there is because around the 20 minute mark, there I had a one of the coyotes howled. And the way it was, it just reminded me of the night before. This the howl was exactly the same. And when they when I heard that that pitch or tone, however it was, and I heard another dog answer, and I heard another dog answer, it, I think it was like the coyote calling in the rest of the family members, and they grouped up and they were out in the field within 15 minutes. There's like four of them. So then when I heard that howl that night, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep just talking back and forth here, and I, 30 minutes later, I had 40 minutes later, I had uh, four coyotes out in the field. Coming down into the collar, yeah. So but just be, it's just because I recognized that tone. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna just sit here a little bit longer. I mean, I'm calling. It sounds like they're moving in closer, and then I start hearing other dogs. So I was like, I just gotta sit tight. And that's on a piece of property that I have that I've sat on probably seven times and never have killed a dog out there. I want Yeah. So with these tournaments, do you ever win them or place or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What does it normally take to that? That varies. That that's really? yeah. It depends on the night. I mean, um, we had a tournament where we had ten dogs and we didn't even place. Right. Didn't didn't win small dog. Didn't win most dogs. Didn't win heaviest dog. I mean, after we got nothing for ten dogs that we killed, and then. I think it was four weeks, three weeks later, a month later, hunted another tournament, killed 12 dogs, and we took every single pot there was at the tournament. You killed 12 dogs in a night? Um, we killed 12 dogs in a 24-hour period. It was a two-day hunt, but we killed 12 dogs in, yeah, wow, 24-hour period. What's we, your... killed them, we killed them all on the on the first night, and then we killed them, uh, what was it, the Trying to remember how that went is it was it was within a twenty four hour period, 
And are you going out as a team? How many people do you have on a team and all that? Is it two or three or what? Um, really just depends. Um, sometimes right now it used to be me and my buddy Aaron, but uh, he has to have ankle surgery. So I got buddy Ethan coming up from Tennessee, and we're going to hunt a, hunt a tournament Ooh. together this year. That'd be cool. So uh, we're going to – we're gonna. I'll make sure this year we're gonna put the hurting on the dogs for sure. So. Oh yeah. Going for, you know. I don't know. Want to crush everybody. Twenty-five dogs in two hours. Yeah. Um, What's East, the? Go ahead. Eastern. Because I know you're gonna ask how many dogs. Uh, Eastern tournament. I don't think they're hosting it this year, but. I want to say the number of dogs that won that tournament, and this is like hundreds of teams entering it's like one of the biggest coyote tournaments there is and i want to say like it's like almost 40 dogs in two nights that won wow. the tournament maybe 35 between 35 and 40 dogs that's so many and you gotta think it's like on the east coast so if these guys are driving from like georgia or something to get back they're missing like I don't know how many hours that is of driving. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions in fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid, and I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly i can't express it enough i also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with so far i'm really really impressed to learn more for yourself check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com so what keeps you from having me and josh and 25 other people go out and shoot a coyote for your team what i mean what keeps a person from doing that so we came up with a – me and uh, the tournament that Aaron – the TFO host, that Aaron host. So when you shoot a dog, you got to have your phone on video mode, and you take a video, and you have another phone in your hand, and you screen record the other phone, the time, the date. Um, you show everyone's face. In that video, you show the hole in that video, you show the hole, the entry and the exit if there is one, 
and then you take your phone, you turn your light on, you have your light on, your flash on, when you're doing the video, and you show the eye shine to show that it was a recent kill because the eyes glow, right? Right. And then you pick up the dog and you shake it. Limp limb test. It's real limp. Okay. I mean, because we're yeah, hunting. Basically, if you're 30 or 40 minutes out, then it's going to be stiff. Okay. And then we have also on top of that, we That's give pretty- a secret word or a, a number that you have to say in the video also, or you have to mention the TFO, okay. the TFO tournament. And then you proceed. It will be, we take a drawing. It's going to be like left pollen mouth, right pollen mouth, left rear pollen, whatever it is. We draw it randomly. And you have to put that paw in their mouth and zip tie it too. So they rigor mortis that way. Yep. Not to mention like they, yeah, I, man, that's pretty good. Damn. It's, it can be cheated, but you're, it's, is it, I don't think it's worth the effort that they would have to do to yeah. the running around that they would have to do. I don't know, but well, I've never seen anyone cheat personally. I've never seen anyone really? get caught yet. I've never seen anyone get caught at tournaments. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it in person. So man. I got weights and dogs. I remember um, a little nothing, nobody group around here that used to host a um, coyote tournament. <laughs> you like that? With those guys. Um, but they started hosting some coyote tournaments here and they didn't put any like specific rules. And some dude that was a trapper showed up with like all the coyotes from Ohio. I mean, all the coyotes. There were so many coyotes. And he destroyed everybody because they didn't, you know, they didn't know. Um, but, yeah, that, damn, dude. I can imagine there's probably been a fair amount of cheating, but um, I think a lot of people have probably capped that by now with those rules like that. There'll be a metal detector this year, just in case. Go over some of the dogs with it. There you go. For those walleye fishermen that are coyote hunting this year. (laughs) Did you see the video the other day on Facebook? We got weights and deer. (laughs) (laughs) Pulling like bricks and shit out of the deer's cavity. It was pretty funny. I I thought it was uh I thought it was a solid idea. It it had some humor to it. So so I have a couple of questions because I obviously you've been successful, Tyler, in, in these tournaments with, with Ethan and you said yourself Ethan's a pretty good coyote hunter. So what what goes into the success as far as like a setup? Like, are you looking for certain terrain? Is it all just like open crop fields? Um, Talk a little bit about, I guess, light, moon phases, what you find. Just just massive, massive amount of property. So just just sheer sheer volume. Yeah. You're just sitting on every piece. I mean, dogs are going to travel. I mean, they travel distances. So, I mean, you could, I mean... I got a piece of property that I hunt here in Whiteland, Indiana, and there's a subdivision about six, seven hundred yards behind it. And I'm sitting here calling and calling, looking through my thermal, 
and I literally called out two dogs from a subdivision, coyotes. Two wow. coyotes came out of a subdivision. And I was hunting the one piece of CRP cornfield with a little wood lot. And all the coyotes were in the neighborhoods. They were, I mean, I didn't call any dogs out of there. They only came out of the, the neighborhood that night. So, I mean, they can be anywhere. I mean, honestly, I don't really look for anything. But if I see a lot of CRP of the nice big open field, you know, anything that has woods and drainages and stuff like that, I mean, it's just going to be coyotes hunting everywhere in the wintertime. Yeah. So, but I think, yeah, I think, I think the key is having a lot of properties because there's, I mean, I'm not even compared to these other guys here in Indiana. I'm nobody compared to some of these other guys. I mean, honestly, these other guys were killing 20, 30 coyotes in a night or in, 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 in two nights in a tournament. So that's, that's insane. I'm still trying to get there. I think, I think a lot of the problem is, is not having enough property to the same time. Yep. I feel like anybody, <clears throat> at least around here, when I hear guys, about the most I've ever heard of some locals killing around here, like four or five in a night, but usually those people are property hopping quite a bit throughout the night. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so when you, when you set up, when you, when you get an area you want to set up in and are calling, how are you? So let's say it's an open field, just as an, as an example, how are you set up on this field? Like as far as like wind goes, a lot of times, I, I've heard guys say you got to watch, you know, your downwind side because the dogs will circle around, try mm-hmm. and wind you. So kind of how does that work in your setup? I like, I like a good crosswind. If you can set up with good crosswind with, without messing up your access. Um, I mean, if you have the wind to your back, I mean, it's, you know, you're going to generally have a, it's going to be a pretty quick shot. It's going to be pretty fast. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to be a little bit further than what you want. Um, but generally, I like a nice crosswind. And I like I like putting the collar up. If you have a crosswind going from west to east, I want to put the collar more west a little bit. But I mean, okay. nothing nothing crazy. I mean, so when they come out, circle down around. At least they're not too far over. And if your wind's blowing, say your wind's blowing east, I try to keep the east side of that kind of open so I can see what's coming in over there because if you have your collar sitting out there and then 25 yards of downwind you got a big crp field you know i don't i mean i'm gonna try to keep it out in the as out in the open as much as possible draw my field yeah makes a lot of sense <clears throat> especially kind of that if it's going west to east i guess you would be setting up either on depending on your axis the north or south end and then shoving the call over I guess more west, so they're not circling way downwind. <clears throat> I've never, I've never thought about that in the handful of setups I've been. Usually, you go set the call out. I mean, we, the people I've been with, you know, you kind of pay attention to the wind and the crosswind, but it, they haven't set up the call kind of just off to try and get the dogs to circle closer. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But like I said, man, I'm not, I'm not the best at it, but. I'm trying to I'm trying to learn. So but. Chris, why are you chuckling? Check your phone. 
I just happened to look. I can't stop. Oh my god! I haven't laughed this hard in forever. Did you send that to Tyler? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's the funniest of all the Britney Griner things I've seen. That is that is hands down the best. <laughs> oh my god! All right, I'm going to try to get myself under control here. Okay, so we covered we covered setups. We covered, you know, and I heard as I was dying, I heard you talk about um, how you like CRP and and uh, you know the ditches and everything. And it it always seems like everything, no matter what we're after, it always comes back to food. And it would make sense to me that that's where all the food would be. All your, yeah. Rabbits, birds, mice, moles, voles, you know, all that. Um, so that. That's pretty good stuff. One of the best places I have out in Terre Haute, it is um, from top to bottom, the piece is two miles long. And I think from side to side, it's about a mile. And it's all ag with drainage just running, running around it. And then it's, it has like patches of woods all around it. Oh, wow. Wow. And there's drainages run, running through everywhere, and the drainages have CRP, saplings, and, I mean, kill a lot of dogs out there, too. Um, but Quick quick sidetrack on that with it being all ag. Do you ever try and target um, and try and time when the ag is cut? So, like, let's say it's a cornfield and it's a fresh cut. Will you try and go out within the first couple nights of it being cut? Um, I've, I've heard of people trying to target fields like that, you know, getting all the critters and stuff running out into the ag after it's been cut. No, I've never, I'm usually, you know, deer season. So I'm usually busy. True. If it's getting cut, I'm going to be sitting next to the, um, if I have a piece of private, I'll be sitting next to the field waiting for the deer to come running out. <laughs> like a damn dinner bell. Yeah. Right. I well, never or, that. Huh? I never did believe that until I experienced it. I thought, well, well, I'm talking about the deer that are bedded in the corn. When they cut it, they come out of the corn into the woods. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so we used to live on uh, 35 acres and it had a bean field. And uh, when the farmer would come over and cut that field, you would like 10 minutes into it, you can see your rabbits like popping out of the fields and then the hawks, the red-tailed hawks are just coming in and they're just landing. I mean, there's like five or six of them and they're just watching. They're, the field's just slowly getting smaller and smaller. And these rabbits, I'm like, oh, it's about to get it's about to get crazy. But, I mean, I, I've seen videos on Facebook like that with coyotes sitting around when the corn's getting cut, eating rabbits running out and stuff and mice. And Makes sense, man. I know that when I went out to Kansas with my uncle – um, they're, you know, their pheasant season opens early November. They're just reaming cornfields and you just let the combine come down the row and sit at the end and birds are just pouring out of this corn. It's not, it's unlike anything we have here. 
Um, it was a pretty cool one. When I went out, which was, ugh, shouldn't even say this, it was 1999, and there was quite the bumper crop because we had uh, one of our worst droughts, maybe even worse than this year's um, that year, which birds, you know, hatching benefits when it's dry. So there was a crap load of pheasants that fall. And uh, man, what a cool trip. But it was pretty neat. You'd you'd have permission where they're cutting the corn. Sure enough, here come some birds out. And and like you said, as it gets smaller and shrinks, you just see birds just start freaking. They fill the sky at some point. Pretty cool. Well, what are our closing thoughts, Sir Josh? I have one more question for Tyler. Oh, okay. Based on setup. Going back to the moon, right? A lot, like you said earlier, that the night you came to Ohio with Chris, it was a full moon. You feel like you don't kill as many dogs on a full moon. Um, I've heard other people say that too, just because of how bright it is. Do you, do you honestly feel like you kill more dogs on like a new moon or like a quarter moon compared to a new or a full moon? I really don't pay attention to the moon until it's until it's a full moon, and then I'm like, yeah, don't really want to be out. But I, I, is that just purely because you feel like they can see better? They can they can definitely see better for sure. But uh, I think it also has to do with the ability to call and know what to. Because there's guys out there, man, that it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, they're killing 15 dogs on a full moon still. And are you, um, so, sorry, one other question. Because I'll see people that'll set up strategically and they'll try and tuck themselves in some cover. And then I see guys that go out, set up on the edge of the field. They're just in the wide open. And it's like three guys out there with their guns on tripods, like out in the open. Like, what? what, what is your preference on that? Um depends on how bright it is out. I know I can say one night uh last year, me and a buddy, we uh I think there I'm pretty sure there was no moon. There might have been a little bit of moon. But we stood in the middle of the cornfield, like back to back, and killed two or three dogs in under ten minutes. I think it was two dogs. Nice. And, I mean, we were standing in the middle of the field. The field had a little bit of a slope to it, so we were sitting in front of the slope. So we still had some of the fields. We had some of the corn behind us, so we weren't, you know, skyline. Because I mean, it was completely flat out there, pretty much, except for just like this little. I mean, it probably wasn't more than ten foot slope. I mean, it was real gradual. I mean, you set up in the in the micro saddle. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Okay, Chris. Sorry, your your concluders. I just had a few last questions there. Okay, I can, I can, uh, I can sympathize with that. Empathize. I'll empathize or sympathize. Mm-hmm. I'll do some kind of thizing. Um, just want to hit up some concluders. Uh, you know, I'll I'll start off by saying, take a kid 
for somebody who hasn't been hunting or fishing. That way, Rick feels like we we did him justice. Um, in all seriousness, though, if you do have somebody that um, you know wants to try hunting or fishing, um, get them out there and and teach them. Even if you're not a pro yourself, I mean, exposure is the key, and you never know what can end up becoming of that. So, um, what are your final thoughts here, Rick or Cheezel? Josh, almost called you Rick. Later. So we did something a little different this evening, mm-hmm. right? Switch gears from, from deer hunting because we've been covering that quite a bit the past couple months. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff coming up, right? So you got, you still have deer season in a couple areas or in, in a lot of states. So I mean, keep grinding if you're, if you still got a tag to fill. I still have my Ohio tag. Um, but don't forget other things that are coming up. Right, coyote hunting is a big one this time of year. Uh, bird, goose, right? Yeah, ducks. Yep. Duck. Fowl, we'll call it. Well, waterfowl season. Um, I feel like I see more people out later when it's colder, like January. For waterfowl. Or For just... geese. Oh, um. So I want to say goose here in Ohio, Southern Ohio, runs till like the first Saturday or Sunday in February, maybe something like that. Um, Ducks, I want to say, is like the last one in January. Um, Yeah, our our area really sucks for waterfowl hunting, unless it gets cold. When we have a good cold winter, you can have some fun, but it just doesn't get cold here. Yeah, but my my concluder is right. Don't be bored. There's lots of stuff to do out there: waterfowl hunting, coyote hunting. Then after that, we're getting into shed season, and then turkey season's coming up. So, still plenty to be excited about. Not to mention, if you're tagged out, go scout. Yeah, you don't need to get a shed at the end of the rainbow. Like, go find some beds. Go look at. I mean, we're in the post rut. You can walk out there right now and find beds and you can find rubs and scrapes and all that. And I would bet if I had to guess the best scrapes that you could probably hunt in September are being kept open right now. That's just my thought. I could be wrong, but I I would place a very mild amount of money on that. <laughs> yeah. We we should have some people talk about that because you get, I mean, betting will change a little bit uh, based on food, depending sure. on how cold it is. But that kind of makes sense if they go back to some of their core betting areas and you have those, like, uh, like a hub scrape or, or primary scrape, whatever, you, or communal scrape, whatever the hell you want to call it. But that makes sense. Yep. Tyler, Tyler, what do you got? Well, Chris, you stole my concluder of a scouting in the off season. Damn it. That was going to be my concluder. Um, Scouting, e-scouting, get on those maps, walk, shed hunt, do a little bit of shed hunting in the off season. Make sure you get all your stands off of public land in time. Yes, I don't know if you probably. guys have a I don't know if you guys have a date here, but for 
you know, I know I go walking through the woods and still see them hanging into, you know, March, April. Yep. So Kentucky has a date. You go on every piece of public. People just leave them everywhere. You can tell ones that have been there like left like a couple years. I'm just like, oh. I really I'm, wish some of these states had like roundups where it's like, we're going to go clean this piece of public and they just go and take everything down. Could you imagine? If we got like 20 people together, even if we just faked it on the page, the uproar you'd get, you'd, you'd sniff everybody out right away. That's my spot. Well, they'd be like, that's bullshit. This is America. And you'd be like, oh, so tell me you leave your stands up all year without telling me, which I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't care. And I do. Um, don't leave your stand up all year. And then when I want to go hunting and I come and your stand is still there, well, I'm probably going to sit in it or climb it and then get above it. So I don't have to do as much work. That's more than likely what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I like that, Tyler. Sorry. I didn't mean to steal half of your. So good, man. (laughs) Yeah. We'll have you on, uh, before next season to do some, map e-scouting talking breaking down maps yeah for those that don't know tyler is like a a little savant we'll call him the oracle (laughs) (laughs) he's pretty good would you so we won't remember we're not using names you went to a place in ohio that is very difficult to hunt that is known for low deer density we'll say that give him that much how many deer did you see in one day? 17. Yeah. And you'd never been there before. Not to this spot. You'd been to the, you know, the forest, we'll call it. But you'd, yeah. not, you'd not been anywhere near that spot. Showed up blind other than e-scouting on a map. And I could say, well, he just had a good day. It was the rut. It was, you know, luck or whatever. It just keeps happening. Um, you know, had multiple other times where he's seen six and eight and, um, pretty good. So we'll have you on sometime, but we won't give, you know, everything away. Not too much. Got to make some people learn, uh, things. I got to learn stuff for myself included. So anyway, gentlemen, I appreciate you staying up till midnight tonight to, uh, Listen to me laugh my butt off at the funniest meme I've ever seen in my life. Um, With that being said, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. And tonight we were hosted by myself, Chris Leppert, and our third leg, Josh Luck. And we were joined by Fueled team member, Tyler Westall. Guys, thank you so much. Have a good night. See you.